0: this little clip on the TV news. Uh, but then she looked it up on, on her phone to give me some background information. And maybe you saw it on the news. I, I don't know if you, you saw about a, a man who was, it looked like he was in his front yard, maybe in his backyard. There was a chain link fence about four feet high, it was surrounding his yard. And there was a coyote in his yard. And it was looking like it we wanted to have his little pet dog for lunch. And the man went out there, and he was wrestling with the coyote. The coyote bit him a couple of times. Uh, I'm told uh, Nancy said that he had to have uh, nine rab- rabies shots later. But it showed this guy, and he, he's wrestling with the coyote, and he finally g- grabs the coyote by the tail, lifts him up, and the coyote's kind of going limp with that. You know, They're not used to being grabbed by the tail, I guess. And uh, he had a dumpster in his yard, and he lifts up the dumpster, and he throws a coyote in the dumpster. How many of you saw that on the news? There's a few of you who saw that on the news. And, uh, uh, you know, some of us might have a, a, a strange reaction to that story, um, and the the man, uh, like I said, he was very concerned about his pet little dog, he wanted to save his dog, and and uh, so he kind of treated that coyote differently than he treated his pet little dog. They're both canines, right? They should be treated equally, right? No. Uh, but we live in a time when people treat their pet dogs almost as much as they would treat their kids, you know, with love. They, they love their dogs. You know, I, I don't know if you've noticed that. Some of you, if you have a dog, you love your dog, could I, could I you know, Yeah. Okay, I got to be careful what I say here. I don't want to offend anybody. But then, have you seen the commercial? It's a couple different versions of it. One, one that I'm thinking of, this guy was kind of in his his garage, the TV's on. There's a couch or whatever. He's got a dog there, and and this girl is in there, a friend or whatever, and she opens up the refrigerator. And she sees the dog food in the refrigerator. She says, what is, is this dog food in the refrigerator? And then the next scene you show, the, the lady is outside. She's been kicked out of the garage. And here's a guy, and he's stroking his dog, and they're watching TV together. And so the, the girl is not really a friend. The dog is a friend. Don't, don't insult my dog or whatever, but you know people uh, people love their pets but we're going to we're going to uh, talk about dogs from a different viewpoint uh in fact the apostle paul is going to use the word dog to describe some people and uh it, it's a, a pejorative term you know if you called someone a dog that you weren't that wasn't nice you know that wasn't a nice thing and uh let's look at, if we will at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Philippians 3, 1 through 7. Whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, may the Lord give you joy. That's a powerful verse right there. Whatever's happening in your life, may the Lord give you joy. I never get tired of telling you this. I am doing this for your own good. Now kind of a a change of subject here. Watch out for those dogs, those wicked men and their evil deeds, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship God in the spirit are the only ones who are truly circumcised. We put no confidence in human effort. Instead, we boast about what Christ Jesus has done for us. Yet I could have confidence in myself if anyone could. If others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. For I was circumcised when I was eight days old, having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish family that is a branch of the tribe of Benjamin. So I am a real Jew if there ever was one. What's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. And zealous, yes. In fact, I harshly persecuted the church and I obeyed the Jewish law so carefully that I was never accused of any fault. I once thought all these things were so important, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And some translations, instead of saying worthless, use the word garbage. I consider all these things refuse or garbage. What I once treasured, once I was once proud of, these are all gar- garbage. And so hopefully in that passage, you see dogs and garbage. Now, Paul starts out with a very positive theme. It's mentioned at least 12 times in the book of Philippians. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. And when we hear that, we, uh, we oftentimes say, yes, I want that in my own life. I want to experience that all the time. I want to have a life full of constant joy. And that joy is found in the Lord. It's not found in the world. It's not found in circumstances. There are some circumstances that can bring happiness, but that's transitory. There's a lot of circumstances in this life that is the opposite of joy. But as soon as Paul said that, rejoice in the Lord he immediately shifted gears. He changed the subject. It's a dramatic change. And he said, beware of the dogs, the group called the Judaizers. They'll tell you that you have to be circumcised. You have to keep the Mosaic law and all of its details in order to be truly saved, to be fully saved and completely saved. They were saying, if you've trusted Christ and you've given your heart and your life over to Jesus Christ, you might think you're saved, but you're not. You have to keep the law. You have to be circumcised. And Paul had some very strong feelings about the Judaizers. But I was thinking as I was studying for this, this passage, I was thinking, why is such a traumatic, uh, dramatic uh, change of subjects? Why did Paul go from joy, rejoice in the Lord, and immediately he, uh, he, he starts you know, saying, beware of the Judaizers, beware of the dogs. And um, I, I think the way that I connect those dots is that if you fall into the spiritual trap of trying to keep God's law and relying on your own unsaved nature, your old nature, it will rob you of every ounce of joy that you have. Trying to please God in your own strength, say goodbye to joy. Joy is going to go away. You see, people who live a religious life, who try to be good uh, on their own, apart from Christ, will end up taking pride in themselves. They rejoice in what they have done. They don't rejoice in the Lord because it isn't really Jesus working in them. They're doing the work, and so they want the credit for it. And uh, so they're doing all their own work, and Paul warns them, and he warns us: Do not fall into that spiritual trap. Don't fall into the trap that these false teachers, these evil workers, these wicked men, are trying to lead you into. Now you might think, well, uh, Dave, come on, we we don't face Judaizers today telling us that we have to be circumcised to be saved. That was a problem way back then in Paul's day, but not so much now. And and in one sense, that's true. We we don't have people telling us, you've got to be circumcised. I haven't had one single person in all my years of ministry say that to me. But if you look at the broader issue behind the issue of circumcision, you'll see that it's a very present danger. It's still a problem today. You see, there are millions and and maybe even billions of people today who think that by being good, by virtue of their own good works, their own efforts, that that will get them into heaven. And how many times have you gone to a funeral and, and heard someone say, Oh, Joe was such a good man. Or Mary, she, uh, she was the sweetest, nicest person ever. She was so good to everyone. There's, there's, a, there's a whole layer of people in our society today, in the 21st century, who, who at, at, at a point of looking at death, the death of someone else, They they gravitate back towards that thing of goodness, thinking, oh, good people are going to go to heaven. Now, how many of you have heard the expression, God helps those who help themselves? Again, it's not people saying you've got to be circumcised, but again, they're putting emphasis on what you can do. Not so much on what God does, but on what you can do. You can... Help yourselves, and and so a good case could be made that there are many Judaizers today who encourage us to rely upon our own strength, to rely upon our own efforts, and that'll be enough. That'll get the job done. You know, believe in yourself, trust yourself, trust in your abilities and in your efforts. and And how many of you remember that that old? Uh, I don't know if it was a nursery rhyme. It about a train going up the hill. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And if you think about it long enough and you try hard enough, I think I can, I think I can, eventually you're going to make it to the top of the hill. If you think you can long enough, you'll find out that you can. You know, this is a pervasive view amongst a lot of people. It's a subtle version of the Judaizer heresy, but it's all around us. It's everywhere we turn. So Paul gave a very strict warning to the Philippian believers, don't let this error take root in your Christian life. It wasn't as big a problem in Philippi as it was in the churches in Galatia, not yet, but he was forewarning the people in Philippi, Philippi and forearming them so that it would not become a dangerous falsehood that they would buy into um, because it was a, a kind of heresy that would totally devastate the strength and, and the health of their Christian faith. But he wrote, he was very... Paul didn't mince words when he wrote to the church in Galatia. In Galatian uh, 5, 2 through 4, he said this about the Judaizers. He says, "'Behold, I, Paul... Say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law, you know, trusting in your own works. You have fallen from grace. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Your Christian life, your Christian faith will become worthless if you fall into this trap. That's what Paul was saying. And so these false teachers, he calls them evil workers, these Judaizers, were like dogs in the sense that they were following Paul around, nipping at his heels, incessantly barking and yelping out their false doctrine. Everywhere Paul went, he'd start a church. Pretty soon the Judaizers, he would leave because of persecution. Pretty soon these Judaizers would come in and try and take these people and get them to buy into the Judaizer heresy. They were purveyors of falsehood, not of truth. And uh, in the Jewish religion... And Paul understood the Jewish religion. In Jewish religion, people put a lot of trust in their own abilities and their own works, their own accomplishments. Um, and, and, and Paul understood that. And he knew that these Judaizers were attacking the essential doctrine, the doctrine of salvation. You see, true salvation is based on what? On grace. It's based on what Jesus did for us on the cross, what Jesus did, not what we do. And and, uh, it's not based on doing enough good deeds to tip the scales in our favor. You know, God doesn't grade on a curve. It says in the Bible, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is absolutely no way we can work our way into heaven. Can I get an amen on that? It's like Paul was saying, What whatsoever you do, do not surrender grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we've quoted this many times. It's very clear. Uh, But it says, For by grace you have been saved through what? Through your own works? No, through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, good works is mentioned there, but look at where it comes in that whole process. You know, grace and the gift and faith, that all comes first. Then good works come later. You see, good works do not result in salvation. Salvation results in good works. I'm going to say that again. Good works do not result in salvation. That's what the Judaizers were talking about. Salvation results in good works. We're saved by grace first. The good works flow out of salvation. And uh, it's because God lives in us. Once we are saved, we give our hearts and our lives over to to God. We have a new nature. God lives in us. And it's God who, who is empowering us to do his works It's like God is working through us, and so it isn't really our works, it isn't human works, it isn't what the old flesh can produce, it's what God is producing in our lives, and that's what makes a good work truly a good work. God working in us is a good thing. When God's working, it's good. Now, when we work, not so good. Maybe a little bit good, but not perfect. How many of you are perfect? Can I see your hands? oh i I think I think Dave is messing with me back there <laughs> Now why did Paul get so worked up about this issue and, and I think it's, it speaks of the essence of paul's life, his conversion in just a few verses he paints an autobiography of who he was before becoming a Christian and it's like he got into a credentials showdown with the Judaizers who were trying to trip up the believers in Philippi and Paul said I'm a hundred percent Jewish both my mom and my dad were Jewish but not all of these Judaizers are that way and uh, both my mom and dad were Jewish and uh, they raised me to know and to practice the law since I was a little kid And I was circumcised on the eighth day, as the law prescribes. And I can trace my lineage all the way back to Abraham. Not these Judaizers, not all of them can trace their lineage back to Abraham. And I'm a member, a full-fledged member of the beloved tribe of Benjamin. And, you know, Benjamin was Jacob's favorite son. And even though it wasn't the largest tribe it was a tribe known for staying true to the law when the other tribes were abandoning um, keeping the law. The tribe of Benjamin remained loyal to King David during Absalom's rebellion. And Paul said uh, you know, that uh, he was also a member of the Pharisees And being a Pharisee, he took the law seriously. He kept every detail of it. And the Pharisees believed in angels and resurrection and authority and inspiration of God's word. And they were zealous for the nation of Israel. And they were looking forward to Israel to establish God's kingdom. And in a sense, they were super patriots. And Paul studied under the renowned Rabbi Gamaliel. And uh, he says, I was so zealous for keeping the law that I even persecuted the church Not just in Jerusalem, but in other places, because we just knew that those Christians were blasphemers. You see, he could compare his credentials with any of the Judaizers who were saying, oh, you've got to become a Jew to be truly saved. Paul could uh, compare his Jewish credentials against any of those guys, and he would always come out on top. They could not measure up to Paul or Saul, as he was known back then. You see, he was living by the power of his own flesh, and he listed all of his stellar achievements, but true believers' glory in Jesus and in what Jesus has done, not in what they have done. And so things radically changed in Paul's life. He was on his way to persecute Christians in Damascus. He was on the road to Damascus. He encountered the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And at that moment, he realized that everything that he had invested his life in up to that moment, everything he had tried to achieve, every accomplishment was just mere garbage, stinky trash it stunk to the highest heavens can you think of something that stinks you don't want to think about that do you no i don't either <laughs> but remember the first illustration the the dog that was being chased around by the coyote and the and the owner of the dog you know grabbing the coyote by the tail and throwing it into the dumpster you know i think paul realized he was like that coyote and that his life and his works were just mere gar- garbage. And all of that, all of his previous life, all of the stuff he tried to accomplish by being a Jew, it just all belongs in the dumpster. The Bible teaches that the flesh profits nothing in John six sixty-three, And, and Paul said there is nothing good in our flesh. There's nothing good in our flesh in Romans 7, 18. The way of the flesh leads to corruption. And so, given these Bible truths, given this truth, doesn't it make sense to put no confidence in the flesh? There's nothing good in the flesh. It leads to corruption, it profits nothing. But the world tells us to rely on our flesh. Rely on what you can do, rely on what you can accomplish, rely on being good. But our our goodness needs to be found totally in Jesus Christ, not in what we try to do. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that amen. You see, but through faith we enter into his work. And, And the Judaizers, though, were telling Christians to put confidence in their flesh, put confidence in yourself. And Paul is loudly shouting to the Philippians, Don't do that. Do not go down that path. Stay on the true path, the only path that leads to true joy. It leads to a useful life. It means that God is able to use you for the things that really matter. And it leads to true worship because you worship by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you put God first in everything you do by the way that you live. And it leads to glorifying God in everything you do and say. That's the life of joy. You're on the right path. Don't forsake that path. Don't listen to this garbage that the Judaizers are telling you. And that's how to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, I want to give a, a rather rough paraphrase of what Paul was saying. He said, what the Judaizers are promoting is garbage. I spent most of my life traveling down their path, and it was a total waste Before I gave my life to Jesus, my life stunk. Even though I appeared so uh, righteous and oh so good and better than everyone else, my life still stunk. And it was only in Christ that I found the true circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. Do you know what true circumcision is? It's a Bible question. Colossians 2 11 through 12. Paul is speaking, he says, In him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay, you got my attention. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, in Christian baptism, we express our desire to die to self, to relying on ourselves, putting confidence in ourselves, and uh, we don't rely on the flesh or our own strength. We rely on Christ's resurrection power, and that's a picture of baptism. When you're put in the water, you're dying to yourself you're dying to your old ways you're dying to putting faith in yourself you're raised out of that water it's a, a picture of the resurrection of Christ and you're saying i'm going to live by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ you see Jesus is both savior and lord Jesus forgives our sins but we're also called to follow him And so we confess Jesus as our savior with our words, with our mouth. But we express that Jesus is our Lord through baptism. And so if you wanna read about this more, I suggest you study Romans six. Romans six has a lot to say about baptism and the meaning of baptism and why God wants his followers to practice that. It isn't just a rite, it's not just a ritual. It's an expression of faith to say Jesus is the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow him. And, you know, I wished I'd been taught that truth when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, and uh, that uh, it's, it's simple when you think about it. You know, some people, they try to, you know, Jesus is not psychotic. You know, you, you know, oh, I have Jesus as my savior. Well, is he your Lord? Well, no, he's my savior. That's, I, I believe in Jesus. No, you, you believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Amen?